Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me is Aaron Miller. This is our question of the week episode for the week. And as we do every quarter, we're doing a deep dive on Apple's earnings that were just announced yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday. They were announced on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, This, of course, Apple's earnings for the second calendar quarter, Apple's Q3 fiscal year uh, and the quarter before uh, it begins uh, ramping up to a new iPhone launch in the fall. So that's going to be the topic today. Um, Just before we start, a couple of things to note. Firstly, I just want to give a quick plug to a different podcast, not one of ours, but um, the Analyze Asia podcast um, run by a guy called Bernard Leong, who's based in Singapore. Really great podcast about the Asian markets and tech. Um, He does an interview with a different person every week. Uh, I had the privilege to be on this past week. We recorded a couple of different episodes that will be coming out over the next couple of weeks, the first of which is up already. But uh, it's a great podcast, well worth listening to if you're interested in tech in Asia. Um, and one of those episodes, we talked about SoftBank and the big three Chinese internet giants. And the other one, we spent a lot of time doing a deep dive on Samsung. So both will be worth listening to, but uh, just want to give a quick shout out to that. The other is that oftentimes when we do this earnings episode, we kind of go... Uh, sort of methodically through every product line and then regions and various other things. This time we're going to take a slightly different approach. We're just going to kind of hit some of the highlights that stood out to us uh, from what was announced because this was a little bit of a different call. There was a lot more commentary on things outside of the normal scope of earnings, uh, arguably a bit more openness from Tim Cook on some of the stuff as well. So taking a slightly different approach, um, but uh, hopefully still the usual sort of deep dive on, on what was announced. I want to kick things off with iPhone, obviously still by far the single biggest chunk of Apple's business. Um, not a huge quarter for iPhones, or a modest growth in unit shipments. ASPs were up year on year, um, and Apple said they would have been up even more if not for currency effects and the fact that they uh, sold down some of their inventory in the quarter. Uh, and that inventory was almost all uh, premium phones, so 7 Plus type devices. And they said 7 Plus was selling a lot better than 6 Plus the year before. Uh, I would guess a lot of that's to do with the camera and the portrait mode feature, which I think is one of the single best features Apple's uh, introduced on any iPhone for the last few years now. Um, but it, you know, overall, fairly sort of modest unit growth there, modest revenue growth. But obviously the big story is... Uh, the guidance and everything for for the next quarter. But Aaron, any kind of quick comments off the top for you, from you on the iPhone point? Um, yeah, I was also surprised by that this that the seven and seven plus had done as well this quarter compared to the six S equivalents from last year. Mostly because the seven S wasn't that much better of a phone. Like you said, the dual camera thing I think is a big deal, and there are a lot of people who really love that feature. The and the and how it enables the portrait mode and and the zoom and, and those sorts of things. But it didn't feel like that much of an upgrade, I guess. But, uh, you know, this late in the life cycle of, of an iPhone model, um, especially one that in in many respects was a retread of the previous two generations, which is also an outlier in terms of iPhone history. I was surprised it hung on as well as it did this late into its life cycle. Yeah, and I, I wonder if that's partly because the 6S was not a big upgrade and, and kind of sort of smaller upgrade cycle. I wonder if sort of some people who took a pass on that one kind of went for 7 instead. 
Yeah. Um, but it, it's fascinating how kind of, you know, and Tim Cook's now referred to this a couple of quarters in a row that people are perhaps pausing buying ahead of what's anticipated to be a big launch in the fall. And, you know, my brother-in-law just um, went swimming with his phone accidentally and needs to get a new phone. And he said, I don't want to buy a new one because I know the iPhone 8's coming in the fall. And, you know, he's right. not super on top of this stuff but you know even he was aware of that and kind of you know was going to try to find some other way to live without a brand new phone uh, until it releases so it's clearly he's got some mass market awareness that there's something new coming but that's just another re- reason that the seven holding on as well as it did this past quarter is surprising yeah because yeah. there's been iphone 8 hype for over a year now i mean <laughs> before the seven even got announced yeah. there were there was a lot of speculation and stuff floating around about how the eight was going to be this super cycle and mm-hmm. so we'll see yeah no absolutely but let's get on to the guidance quickly because uh the guidance obviously apple only gives one quarter of guidance at a time they never say we are launching a new product or anything like that they simply say here's our revenue gross margin various other bits of guidance but the revenue growth uh, implied by the guidance, and there's a range obviously here, uh, suggests you know, a continuation of the growth that we've seen so far this year and, and quite possibly an acceleration of that growth. Uh, the point here is there's no way it could achieve that without an iPhone launch at the end of September along the lines of what we've seen every year for the last several years now. Uh, and just as a reminder, typically new iPhones come out about 10 days before the end of the quarter. So Apple only gets about 10 days of sales of those new iPhones, but of course they're the biggest 10 days of sales in the year because uh, there's pre-orders and so on, there's massive first weekend where it sells, it sells 10 plus million of these things and then you know the whole first week probably sells a good bit more than that. Uh, so that's a really important part of the quarter. So if uh, the rumors that we've been seeing uh, that the iPhones might be delayed, pushed back or whatever, if those were true, there's absolutely no way Apple would be guiding for revenue growth in uh, the September quarter. Just isn't possible that that could happen. So at the very least, we're getting new iPhones in September. That may not mean all three models launch right away. Uh, At the very least, though, I think it it certainly means that the successors to the current 7 and 7 Plus will be A, on sale, uh, B, uh, available in the kind of volumes that we're used to uh, around the normal time frame. Um, It's possible that the high-end phone isn't available right away, but given the fact that that phone is likely to siphon some demand away from the regular phones uh, and therefore cause a dip in those sales if it wasn't available at the same time, I suspect even the premium phone is going to be available right away, even if it's even more supply constrained than the uh, Jet Black 7 Plus was last year. So that's that's kind of my read on the guidance. No, I think that's right. In fact, I think you can, based on 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 Apple's habits and patterns, you could probably pin down the iPhone announcement event for Tuesday the 12th of September. Yeah. And then a launch on Friday the 22nd. Mm-hmm. Um, that holds up. And, and, and you know, that, that, that may be off by a day or two, but that, that would hold up with the pattern of how they've done things in the past. And so, yeah, um, yeah well, you know, I, I agree. It seems absolutely obvious now that they're going to be launching in September. And I think it kind of puts the lie to the, the repeated. This is like a perennial rumor that Apple is going to have to push back the iPhone launch and, you know, there are new hard things that they're making and they have to. It's always a supply constrained phone, no matter what it is, even the 7 was, even though it wasn't a huge leap forward in terms of its design and its components. Um, it, it's just always the case that that demand outstrips the supply because they have to make you know tens of millions of these things in a really short order. Um, that said, you know, the, I, th- I think people are going to be getting the, the brand new iPhone 
<clears throat> by the end of September, just yeah. like you would normally see in any previous year. And, and there will be supply constraints, just like always, and maybe this one more so than others, but there will be people with phones in their hands by the end of September. And, and, uh, and boy, it really drives home how powerful those last, you know, eight to 10 days are for Apple in this quarter. Yeah. And it also kind of points out, points to how, how a lot of the stock market is driven irrationally. I, I mean, you know, if they pushed it back 10 days so that this all was, were sales that accrued in the, in the last quarter of the year, it's not like they would have fewer sales in a way that would, that would measurably depress the stock price. But if they had guided yesterday in a way that indicated the phone wasn't going to be coming out till October, I think the stock would have taken a pretty solid hit. Absolutely. Which, which, isn't, which isn't driven by, by any sort of concrete rational measures, just right. by this perception of shifting a bunch of the sales of the iPhone to the, to the end of this coming quarter rather than the next one. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that timing 10 days before the end of the quarter is very deliberate. I think, you know, if new phones did launch in October, which there was a year when they did that, um, before they shifted to this very sort of predictable September time frame, um, then you'd basically have an even bigger fourth quarter and an even big, you know, you'd have two right. lull quarters. The second quarter and the third quarter would both be these kind of lull quarters or lame duck quarters, as some people are referring to, to Q2 as. Um, the fact that it launches right at the end of Q3 means that that's at least up again from Q2 typically because you get that first 10, 10 days of sales. So I think it's a very deliberate bit of financial engineering by Apple to launch it in that time frame there uh, yeah. rather than, say, in the first week of October or sometime later. And, and it's, as I say, very clear from the guidance that that's going to be the pattern again this year. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, let's move on from the iPhone to talk about some other stuff. Uh, first off, one of the biggest surprises, I think, probably the biggest surprise on the earnings uh, results this time around was iPad. Um, you know, uh, Philip Elmer DeWitt, uh, he used to write for um, Fortune and now has his own Apple blog. He always does a compilation of analyst estimates for the quarter and then kind of ranks them afterwards on how close they got to the actual results. And pretty much everybody was at least... I think a million and a half off in terms of uh, iPad shipments, if not two million off. It was just this massive surprise, kind of out of nowhere, uh, the iPad suddenly leapt in terms of unit shipments year on year by, I think, 15%. Uh, revenues only grew by a very small percentage in the low single digits. Um, ASPs obviously dropped to make up the difference between those two, and it's very clear that it's the $329 uh, iPad that's driven a lot of those sales. But that kind of came out of nowhere, and seemed to spark a lot of stories about, oh, the iPad returns to growth. And I, I'm a bit hesitant to sort of call it that because there's not a lot of evidence that that's going to stick around. You know, so the launch quarter for the first sort of much cheaper full-size iPad that Apple's ever done. Um, and I'd be very wary of suggesting that that's going to drive growth now going forwards. Um, you know, it's quite possible we'll see another couple of quarters of growth and obviously the 10.5-inch iPad Pro is a, a nice, interesting entry at the higher end which should drive ASPs back up a bit uh, this coming quarter but you know I'm I'm still very wary of calling you know a permanent return to growth for either iPad unit shipments or revenue I have been predicting that at some point we'll get to sort of a steady state uh, that's maybe sort of flat over time within the context of an overall shrinking market but I'm a bit wary of the idea that this is the beginning of a new phase of growth for the iPad yeah I completely agree I mean, the, the, the big question is if this is sort of a, 
so I got to back up a little bit. The, the iPad grew and sold like crazy at the beginning. So there were a whole bunch of people who got iPads and then they've been hanging on to them for years. And, and there's been a slow trickle of replacements, but obviously not not equivalent to the original massive sales because you've seen sales decline over over the years since that first really huge spike. Um, this uptick now can be one of two things. It can be it can be an upgrade cycle or it can be new iPad owners. Um, I think it's as likely as not that there are new iPad owners coming in here um, and that there are a lot of families and others and, and other individuals still holding on to the iPad 2s. Uh, the truth is it's probably a little, it's a mix of both. Um, you know, it's easier to upgrade an old iPad if the replacement one is, well, I guess the, the you know, the sticker price is 329 but nowadays you can find them for 300 or less, the entry-level mm-hmm. iPads. And yeah. that's a, it's a lot easier to for a new user to, to show up, and it's a lot easier for a person to upgrade an old iPad too. And so I think... Um, you know, I think it's probably a mix of both, but it, to the extent that they're getting new iPad owners, that's a great thing. Um, but obviously, it 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 wasn't such a new value proposition that they had this flood of new uh, of new new iPad users coming in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they they did refer to some specific numbers around that. So they said in markets like China and Japan, over half of iPads were to, sold to people buying their first iPad. Yeah. Um, so not in every market, certainly, but you know, there's still markets out where a lot of iPad sales are going to people who've never bought one before. Right. Uh, you know, which has been the case for a long time now. I mean, this has been a sort of narrative that Apple's talked about. They used to provide quite specific numbers on this, and you know, there was a period a few years ago where I was able to do some modeling that kind of showed how old the base was and and what percentage were upgraders as opposed to new buyers and so on. And it was really fascinating. But it it suggested at some point, assuming people didn't give up on the iPad, there would be a bigger upgrade cycle coming. Uh, while in the meantime, it was mostly sales to new users, and so. You know, the install base of iPads and tablets in general does continue to rise. It's just that sales have been coming down because the people who have them keep them for several years, uh, much like a PC or even a TV, um, whereas, you know, most of the, the sales are to new buyers. So it's been interesting to watch that. But, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what happens to the iPad over the next couple of quarters. You know, it was a period a year ago where Tim Cook said, um, you know, he was anticipating a return, you know, to return to revenue growth, and that didn't then ha- that did then happen the following quarter. But it wasn't unit growth; it was revenue growth driven by higher ASPs. Um, but there was no kind of uh, warning that this was going to happen this quarter. You know, no guidance to that effect last quarter, and certainly no commentary this quarter that we should expect anything similar. So, as I say, we, I think we might see a couple of quarters of growth, but I'm not sure it's going to go much beyond that. Well, the interesting test will be when iOS 11 ships and how the idea of an iPad as a primary computing device rather than a secondary one takes hold. I mean, if it, you know, because iOS 11 is supposed to be finally the fulfillment of the promises that Tim Cook has been making about this being the future of computing. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think it's going to be a slow burn. I think you're just going to see sort of a gradual decline in desktops and laptops um, that may take years. Um, and there will always still be people buying those. But but I think more and more, um, you know, just over a gradual time period, people are going to be comfortable just having a tablet be their main computing device. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's move on to the watch, and we won't spend a ton of time on this, but Apple took the somewhat unusual step of saying it saw 50% higher sales of the watch year-on-year 
Um, it's generally kind of talked about record sales and things like that. But, uh, you know, watch was yet another product that grew year on year. Every product category grew year on year, in fact, they said, um, in revenue and unit terms. Um, but, yeah, strong sales for the watch again, which, again, is striking kind of to your point about the iPhone 7 ahead of what I think a lot of us are expecting is to be, you know, new hardware in the fall. So, um, you know, that that was striking. But, you know, the chances are this is now the third straight quarter of over 3 million uh, watches sold in a quarter. Um, you know, third straight quarter of fairly significant growth year on year. Um, so, you know, really growing well off the back of the Series 2 um, and lower prices for Series 1 in some cases as well, no doubt. Um, but, you know, between watches and then AirPods, which Apple hasn't really provided any sort of concrete uh, numbers around at all, you know, the, the sort of wearable space for Apple is kind of still pretty strong and uh, and an important contributor to overall revenues, and especially in that other products bucket where this stuff gets reported. Yeah, I, um, yeah, like, like you pointed out, this is a weird, like, improvement in sale, watch sales. Although I guess this time last year, we still had a pretty old, like device on the market in fact it was pretty long in the tooth this time yeah. last year and so to see a 50 percent bump in sales off of a relatively newer one although it's not that new anymore the you know the the, the next generation of the apple watch i am really I, i'm seriously wondering how big if any of an upgrade there will be to the watch this uh this fall um only because there there's not a lot going on in the rumor mill about it Mm -hmm. um, you know, the watchOS 4 that's been released to developers hasn't really tipped off any new or exciting or surprising things because usually developers find ways to mine details that might indicate about what's coming. Mm -hmm. um, I think where Apple has the strongest opportunity here is is just move, making them cheaper. I, yeah. I think if they because it, it's been a slow burn in terms of watch growth, it's, it hasn't been an explosive product by any means. But anecdotally, I'm seeing them more and more in a way that lines up about with how sales have grown, right? Um, or we we think that they've grown <laughs> as far as mm -hmm. estimates go. But yeah. But uh, but but that said, I, I I think really if they just make these $100 cheaper across the board, um, that's where they're really going to see growth because it's a hard platform to dramatically innovate in. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked multiple times about about sensing health data and how hard that is. Um, and so um, without being able to do that in a dramatically new way, it's hard to imagine what else you could do in the watch as a platform. To the people who already own them, there's they're getting the value out of what already exists, and I don't know how you would change or improve that for them that would make them want to upgrade this next time around. And so it just seems like the, you know, the really stellar approach for Apple is to make them cheaper by 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. And obviously, the Series One watches did drop in price when they announced Series right. Two. And I um, think that's been part of the growth. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I don't. I don't doubt that at all. Um, and I think that the risk is, you know, when they when they push the launch date back from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, they did see a big drop in sales during that intervening period, which is kind of what you were referring right. to with a year ago, uh, June quarter. Um, as such, I do wonder if they didn't have new hardware, if sales would kind of drop off fairly significantly during that period. It's not to say they wouldn't do it, but I do wonder if they need to keep having annual hardware refreshes just to kind of keep the growth going. I think dropping the price obviously would help uh, with growth, but it doesn't necessarily attract the sort of new premium buyer in quite the same way. It's possible we'll just see some new watch bands or some new integrations or some other stuff like that that could kind of help drive or, or 
new sort of partnerships like the Nike one last year um, and the Hermes stuff that they've done and so on where, you know, you could get a new premium watch that's based on the same sort of internals and everything else but somehow looks different or has some unique features or whatever sort of attract new premium buyers. Um, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very point. curious to see that. Yeah, what, what happens this for with the watch? Um, let's talk briefly about China. I mean, it's worth talking about the numbers there briefly. They were down 10% year on year. That's the best in a year. Um, but still, you know, the only region that actually shrank in the quarter, three regions are growing at double digits year on year. So Japan kind of slows single digit growth and then China down 10%. But of course, that's the greater China region. And, and again, Apple for I don't know how many quarters now in a row it sort of said this is really about Hong Kong. This isn't about mainland China. Mainland China was flat in uh, reported terms, was actually up on constant, constant currency basis uh, in terms of revenue. It's, it's Hong Kong that's the drag. And they've talked about the, the sort of the peg to the dollar and they've talked about tourism in China and that kind of thing. Clearly, some buying in Hong Kong was coming from mainland China, it was just happening outside mainland China. And so it's, it's, it's I, don't know, I don't know if I want to say disingenuous, but it's somewhat misleading to suggest Hong Kong is this independent entity that has nothing to do with demand in mainland China. But it's clear that there's a lot of pent-up demand in mainland China for the next iPhone and that, you know, if that yeah. meets sort of people's expectations of it, that should drive some stronger sales there. Yeah, no, that seems exactly right. Um, but the other interesting thing about China was some fairly extended comments from Tim Cook on the issue of uh, removing VPN apps from the App Store in China, um, which, you know, is somewhat controversial. It's very much in keeping with Apple's past policy in China, which is they tend to simply go along with what they're asked to do there and you know, shut down the iBook store, for example, uh, shifted iCloud to uh, a locally owned company in terms of the, the data centers and servers and so on that host iCloud. That, that was a move that was announced a couple of weeks ago uh, and various other things over time, removing the New York Times app from the App Store, various things like that. Um, it has pushed back occasionally when you know the request for backdoors and things like that. It's pushed back and hasn't had to fight too hard on those points so far. So I feel like Apple hasn't really asked to, uh, been asked to do anything or required to do anything in China that would really kind of break any of its bright line rules in terms of how it uh, how it likes to operate in terms of privacy and security and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, this was certainly one where you could argue the removal of VPN apps significantly reduced the ability of people who use iPhones to to circumvent the Great Firewall of China and and get access to content outside of China and so on. And Tim Cook's response to that was basically, we try to follow the law everywhere we operate. You know, in the US, we pushed back against the FBI because we felt the law was on our side. Um, so we were trying to comply with the law as it existed and as we understood it. So he kind of drew that distinction there. But his broader philosophical point was, hey, it's better to engage in these markets and to have a presence than to sort of pull out entirely and abandon the market. You know, we feel like we can only influence these markets if we're actually in them. Um, you know, and that's a different tack from the, the tack that, say, Google took in the past where it decided to withdraw from China over censorship issues. Apple hasn't had to deal with this stuff nearly as much because it's primarily a hardware company rather than a content and services company. But the more it pushes into services, obviously, the more it's going to run into these types of issues. And so far, it's been able to skirt the line between obeying uh, the rules there and not compromising any of its fundamental principles. But this does kind of highlight how this could go down a road where Apple would be far less comfortable simply going along with what the Chinese government wants, and that could lead to a really interesting sort of showdown there. Yeah, no, I agree. I So I have an underbaked theory on this, and <laughs> it's partly because I don't know how test flight works, but I thought it was really interesting. So test flight is, a, like, I don't know the nitty-gritty. Test flight is 
essentially a resource for developers to push apps out to beta testers. Yeah. And it used to have a 2,000 user limit, and then it was about two or three days after the VPN um, apps were all pulled from the China App Store that Apple increased the number, uh, the maximum number for test flight to 10,000 users, up from 2,000. And uh, I don't know if it's possible to use a test flight app um, without getting it through the App Store, uh, like actually downloading it from the App Store, or how that would work, or how you how you distribute this. Because if you remember, John Gruber had a whole piece about um, the VPN issue, and he said, you know, one of the ways that Apple could solve this problem is allow for sideloading of apps, but they're not going to do that mm-hmm. uh, for all kinds of other reasons that are important to Apple. Um, and then it was, like I said, just a couple of days later that they increased the number of p- potential beta testers to 10,000. And I wonder, I, I wish I knew the mechanics on this, because I thought that was just a really interesting dramatic change in numbers there it's hard to understand why why an app developer would need 10,000 beta testers instead of 2,000 like I don't know how much extra data you get Mm. on your beta testers with that change and maybe I maybe I'm just being really ignorant in this guess like I said this is a really underbaked theory (laughs) but I wonder if it's possible for an app developer to push out a VPN app through test flight to Chinese users in a way that circumvents this problem of what happened in the App Store with VPN apps. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't solve it for very many users. Even at 10,000, it would be a tiny, tiny fraction of the population. I, I, no, you know, that's and true. And the reality is those VPN apps remain available in the non-China app stores. So if you right. wanted to circumvent it, it would be a lot easier to do it by simply creating, say, a U.S. App Store account um, or an but account. But you'd have to have a, a U.S address or billing address or, or, or yeah card well you can set up so. in some markets you've been able to set up accounts with um you know non-credit cards um so oh, that's prepaid true. cards and things like that so um that would be a possibility but anyway point being there are other ways to kind of get around this if you're really determined to test flight seems like a heavy-handed way to do it i wonder on the test flight thing if it's actually well one of two things one is if you think about the way apple's expanded its own beta program over the last few years from developers to sort of the public betas you know dramatically increase the amount of data that it gets um you know that's been very helpful obviously in polishing some of these new versions of software before they go to the general public and you know the same principle would certainly apply for test flight that you benefit from getting more data from more users using uh, apps in different environments on different devices in combination with other applications and so on you simply you know, the, the more users you have, the, the more different scenarios you're going to test and the more bugs you're going to identify and be able to squash before you release. I also wonder if it's connected to ARKit. Um, uh, because, you point. know, we've got ARKit coming out in September. It's clearly going to be a very hot area. You really want people to be able to test that in a lot of different circumstances, different lighting conditions, different bandwidth uh, environments and things like that. And so yeah, it could be very helpful for somebody who's creating an ARKit app to be able to test it with a larger number of beta testers. Um, so um, speculation as well, but I, I wonder if it's partly about that. Yeah, no, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, let's move on to something else. And this is just a quick point, something that I I created a chart a while back. And then as I was updating all my charts during the earnings yesterday, I suddenly spotted this chart and something funny about it and sort of spent some time digging into it. And what I discovered was that if you subtract the iPhone revenue from Apple's revenue. So you look at all the other segments except for the iPhone and add those up and then annualize it because you know these things go up and down quarter to quarter. So if you look at trailing four quarters, uh, everything but the iPhone at Apple, if you combine revenue from everything else, 
um, it adds up to an amount that has varied very little over the last five years. So, um, you know, from the end of sort of beginning of 2013 until this quarter, annualized revenue from everything but the iPhone has stayed in a six billion dollar band between uh, 77 billion and 83 or six. I guess it's a six billion dollar band between 77 and 83 billion dollars a year. Uh, so you add up iPad, Mac, the services business, the iPod when that was a reporting line, uh, Apple Watch, AirPods, everything else that's in there. You add all that stuff up. The total of those things has basically not moved very much at all in the last four, five years. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been between 75 and 85 billion for, for five years now. So very, um, very stable, uh, the rest of this. And of course, there's lots of things that have moved around. So, you know, iPad um, was, a, you know, the, by far the largest chunk of the rest of the revenue. Uh, at the beginning of that period, it's now uh, third behind Mac and services. Uh, you know, services was uh, almost the smallest chunk in the rest of the business. It's now uh, this, the largest uh, other part of the business, some quarters. Um, you know, other products went from having, you know, iPod being the major constituent to having Apple Watch as the major constituent. There's lots of things that have moved around in here. And even within services, obviously, the app store has risen considerably while, say, iTunes music downloads have shrunk. But it's fascinating to me that all this stuff without the iPhone has basically been roughly flat at around $80 billion for the past four years. Um, and there's signs over the last couple of quarters of that starting to change. So the combination of services growth, Apple Watch growth, uh, return to modest growth for the Mac, and then this quarter iPad growth is actually causing it to, to tick up a little bit. So I think we might finally break out of that fairly narrow band and that the rest of Apple might start growing again. But it's something that I hadn't noticed and hadn't occurred to me until I just kind of checked this last night. Well, it's interesting to consider how Apple would be doing if it hadn't found replacements for iPod and iTunes Music Store. Yeah. I mean, the you know the 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 sort of down quarters that it had in the last two years could have been really down, mm -hmm. um, but for services revenue taking off, um, you know, in particular Apple Music, but also, you know, the the iCloud storage and and just all the other ways that Apple's figured out how to move to monthly um, payments, and I think it's really smart. This is this this feels like a more sustainable growth path. iPods are always destined to disappear. Um, but uh, um, because of smartphones, but I, it's hard to imagine what would make the growing services revenue disappear. Like it's hard to imagine what would replace that in the years to come. Yeah, no, absolutely, it's true. I mean, it's it's fascinating. The services business is the only segment that's grown consistently over the last five years. Every other segment's yeah. gone through at least a period of shrinkage. You know, with the iPad, it's been you know the last four years essentially, with very few exceptions. Uh, the Mac had a dip into negative territory during 2000, late 2015, early 2016, when there was a lull in the product line refresh. The iPhone obviously went through a period of decline uh, after the uh, the iPhone 6 cycle and so on. So every other segment has shrunk with the exception of services. But uh, yeah, that services business is performing very strongly uh, throughout that period and actually accelerating fairly significantly over the last year and a half. I think if anything threatens services revenue, it's it's going to be Apple's ability to turn it into an international product because right now mm -hmm. it's not really one. I mean, there are a handful of countries outside of the United States where services revenue is is having much impact. I guess I have to I'd have to separate out of the App Store revenue, um, but in terms of Apple Music and and iCloud data and and all these other things, it's it's mostly a, a you know a U.S. thing dominated by U.S. anyway. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Apple's going to have to figure out how to make all of this much more palatable at, at an international level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I suspect iCloud storage is probably becoming a pretty international thing because the underlying issue there of running out of space on your device and backups and so on is, especially with larger storage devices, um, you know, that that's a, a universal issue. But yeah, things like um, TV show downloads and things like that, they're in decline anyway, um, but perhaps less attractive in some other markets. Apple Music's big in the US, big in the UK, one or two other markets where it's big right now. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of internationalization still to be done. That's a really good point. Um, well, let's wrap up by talking about three other things that were not directly related to earnings as such, but on which we got interesting commentary on the earnings call. Uh, the first is autonomy and autonomous systems. The second is uh, AR. Uh, and then the third, I just want to talk briefly about original content as well. Uh, but on autonomy, Tim Cook's made some remarks over the last few months talking about autonomy, kind of confirming that Apple's working on autonomous driving systems. Uh, and he was asked about that on the earnings call and kind of said, this is all about autonomy, which is sort of the mother of all AI challenges or something is what he said. Um, and his point was that this goes beyond vehicles. And it's not exactly clear what he means by vehicles. Does he just mean cars? You know, could he be talking about bikes or other forms of transportation? There's a lot of interest at the moment in other forms of transportation beyond cars and especially in bikes. Is he talking about robots? Is he talking about drones? Is he talking about something else? You know, so... Um, very interesting to hear him talk about that. Clearly nothing imminently coming from Apple on this. This is very much a, a big R&D project, as he kind of ca characterized it. But, um, you know, clearly autonomy interesting to Apple well beyond cars, uh, where it clearly does have a project underway. And it's really not at all clear where that might go in terms of what might end up shipping from all those efforts. No, that's the biggest question mark. And that this one feels kind of further out there than any other R rumored R&D work that they're doing. I mean... Anything else they've done previously in R&D has a much clearer connection to their product, existing product lines. I mean, when they were rumored to be working on touchscreens, it was pretty clear how they would put that to use, right? The multi-touch and, right. and and anything else, you know, the their chip their their chip development, everything that they had done previously in R&D makes a lot of sense in their in terms of their product line. This one is out there. And then for Tim Cook to say it's more than just vehicles. That's like way out there. I have no idea right. what they're imagining. I'm having our time and just having our time picturing where that research lands if it's not in cars and trucks. And so um, it'll be really curious to see where, where this goes. The fact that Tim Cook was willing to comment on it, I think strangely actually points to the idea that this is a pretty far out there kind of thing. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think there's anything really imminent because I think Tim Cook would have been a lot more tight lipped about it. Right. Right, absolutely. No, it's true. Um, so the second area he talked about, again, in more general terms, is AR, and obviously talking up AR kit and the, the launch that's coming in September. Um, you know, his his comments here, his views, very closely reflect my own, which is that, I, you know, the iPhone is instantly going to become by far the biggest AR platform out there. Um, you know, Google's been in this space for several years now, but only with one phone at a time and not a mass market phone at that. And so in theory, it's had an AR platform based on smartphones, but in practice, it really hasn't. You've had Snap and more recently Facebook out there with sort of basic AR type features around photo lenses and that kind of thing. But, you know, Apple's going to suddenly turn this thing into a mass market with applications far beyond anything that we've seen before. And one of the most interesting things was he kind of... I rattled off a list of things that people are doing with it, but said, who knows what we're going to get. And I think, you know, this is the most open new slice of the app market that we've had in years. You know, the Apple Watch 
could have been that theoretically this great new app opportunity and we've really seen that be pretty disappointing over the last few years where apps really aren't a thing other than fitness uh, on the watch but um, you know AR really feels like a big potential new app category and and I think we're going to see some really interesting stuff and there's already frankly been some very interesting stuff coming out um, there's a Twitter account I think called made with AR kit which uh, sort of highlights one or two things uh, every day and uh, you know some really great clever uses of AR kit and there's bound to be dozens of others out there that people are working on that they're not going to publicize until those things are ready to launch but I think this is going to be a really interesting area come September. Oh I completely agree I think this is going to spark another app store gold rush um, not maybe as big as the original one um, well actually maybe an actual size it will be as big as the other one Sure. I, I, I mean, because iPhone market's grown massively. Since yeah, exactly. So, like, there's yeah. a much bigger base on which this gold rush to sort of grow. But I think you're going to see all the signs of it. I think you're going to see some really well thought out things. I think you're going to see a lot of knockoffs of ideas that take off. Um, I think you're going to see a whole rash of whatever the equivalent of fart apps yeah. would be on AR, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, just these novelty apps that kind of don't do anything, but that somebody's willing to drop a dollar on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, yeah, I, th I think we're going to see all the signs of a gold rush, and I think developers are feeling that now, and and uh, and are that's why you're seeing really cool things turn up on 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 Twitter and um, with demoing what ARKit can already do, because there are a bunch of developers that are excited to try all kinds of new things. And if you're a developer who you know somehow plugs into the zeitgeist of this, and you have this really cool novelty app, you could make yourself a cool million dollars. Right mm -hmm. and and walk away with it clean the way some the way Flappy Bird did once upon a time. So right, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We're going to see some really great stuff. We're going to see some rubbish. We're going to see a lot of stuff in between, a lot of experimentation. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch for sure come September. Uh, the third non-earnings related thing that I wanted to talk about. This is something that came from the earnings call as well. Is uh, some questions about original video content and obviously. Apple uh, debuted its first piece of original video content uh, a few weeks back with Planet of the Apps, uh, which has been panned by most people. I think it's fair to say it really, uh, I mean, it's not my kind of show, so I'm not really the target audience for it. But I think, uh, you know, most TV critics and a lot of others have sort of said this is gross or, you know, it doesn't, it's not compelling at all. It's not really what you'd expect from Apple. feels extremely self-promotional apart from anything else. So, um, there was a, a question about original content on the call, and Tim Cook said some interesting stuff about it. Um, you know, he said they have more stuff that's launching in a week or so, which presumably will be the Carpool Karaoke show for which Apple yeah. just released a new trailer in the last few days. It was originally supposed to launch back in April, I think, and they even had a launch event set up and everything, and they canceled it. So I think they maybe had to beef it up um, some, sort of create some more content for it, and perhaps knowing that they had Planet of the Apps coming, that wasn't going to be all that compelling. They kind of wanted to create something a bit better with, with Carpool Karaoke, which is a sort of an established brand that they need to perhaps protect a bit more. Um, you know, I've, I've talked on the Tech Narratives podcast about the fact that I think the Planet of the Apps thing has kind of created really poor expectations for Apple original video content and that it has the opportunity to kind of turn that around. Um, but the, the broader comments from Tim Cook were really interesting here. He basically said their objective is twofold, and this echoes what I've been saying for a while, which is one is about uh, learning. Uh, 
given that they're new in the video space in terms of actually creating stuff. And the second is to offer differentiation for Apple Music. And I've usually talked about those in the opposite order and said kind of this stuff is going into Apple Music for now, but it's also teaching Apple a lot of stuff about how to make this content. And he referenced the two recent hires they have who come from Sony, uh, who have tons of experience. They've been responsible for things like Breaking Bad and The Crown. Um, so, you know, Apple's taking this far more seriously and they announced the hire of those two people, which is not something you do if they're just going to be creating little bits and pieces for Apple Music. I think they are getting ready to make a big push into original video content. And I'm really kind of interested to see how that goes and, and where that content ends up, I presume. And, you know, this is, I, this is my, if I was Gene Munster, this would be Apple TV. But, you know, Apple's video service that's never yet shown up is my sort of equivalent of Gene Munster's Apple TV obsession. Um, you know, I, I still think there's some kind of subscription video service coming, and I think this original video content will go into that eventually. Yeah, I, you know, after Planet of the Apps came out, a lot of people sort of took it as evidence that this is the kind of thing Apple can't be good at, the way that people said, for example, Apple can't be good at services, right? Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and you know, the, it's based on Apple having stumbled a lot in that space before they've now, I think, finally started figuring it out. Um, the, the attitude that Apple can't do online video well, uh, I just don't get because it's it's fundamentally a talent issue. You just have to hire really good talent, and Apple mm -hmm. has more money than anybody to hire right. good talent. Yeah, yeah. And I think the Sony hires are a good example of that. It, it's they're really it really does just come down to being able to afford. I mean, Netflix is borrowing like crazy to produce original content because it's expensive to do, but it's paying off for Netflix. That math works exactly the same for Apple, but Apple has a ton of money in the bank to do it with. They don't have to borrow to, 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 to buy talent to do this original content. I think Tim Cook was being really straightforward when he said, we are experimenting, we're learning from this in a really, really tiny way when you think about it. I mean, Planet of the Apps and Carpool Karaoke are pretty minor efforts but it's sort of teaching management. Okay, if we're going to be if we're going to be like growing a content business, how do we need to be thinking about this? Where do we fit it into our models? I think they're just behind the scenes sorting this stuff out before they do a big launch. But I, I'm with you. I, I think there's going to I think there's a big huge push coming from this, in part because they are putting all this effort in growing services revenue. And we talked about for them to meet their goals um, by 2020, and I can't remember the numbers that they had set in a previous earnings call, but their goals to hit that services revenue, they, they need to add new product lines into that space, not just grow what they're already doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely agreed. All right, well, that wraps up this episode on Apple's earnings for the June quarter. Hopefully you guys found this useful and interesting um, we will be back with a news roundup later in the week, uh, as usual, um, and then back again next week with several more episodes. So thanks very much for listening. Um, just remind you again of the plug that I gave you at the beginning for the Analyze Asia podcast. Well worth a listen. Add that to your roster of podcasts that you listen to. Uh, and a reminder as well that I also do a daily tech news roundup podcast uh, in the Tech Narratives podcast. So uh, go check that out if you haven't started listening to that already. Different take, much shorter, about 10 to 15 minutes an episode. Comes out every weekday uh, around 4 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, so give that a listen if you haven't done so yet. So thanks very much for listening once again uh, from both of us, and we'll be back with you on Friday. Bye-bye.